Amen. You can have a seat. Well, good morning. Uh, it is raining hard now. Uh, we are in a metal building, so you can hear it very well. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, if, you know, I get to sort of like closing time for my message and it's still raining this hard, I'll just keep preaching so we don't have to get out in the rain. You guys cool with that? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Listen, my name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here at Mercy Hill. Welcome. We're so glad you are here with us today. We're going to continue our series through the book of Mark. So if you have a Bible, you got one of these scripture journals we handed out, you got a phone, uh, please go to Mark chapter 4. And even as I'm saying Mark chapter 4, some of you who are very detail-oriented are like, hold up, Brandon. Uh, there's a lot in Mark chapter 3 we didn't get to. Uh, so what's the deal? We're just skipping ahead. We are skipping ahead. But if you're interested in knowing more about the passages that we skipped in Mark chapter 3, there's great news. We've been doing this podcast where I've been bringing some of my friends on to talk through some passages in Mark that we haven't gotten to. And so uh, this week, that is covered by me and my friend Dave Black. All right, so you can just get on uh, Spotify or iTunes or whatever you do, Apple Music. It's not iTunes anymore. I'm old. And um, get on and just tune in and, uh, and listen to me and my friend Dave uh, talk some about Mark chapter 3. Sounds good? All right. Second little caveat that I need to give you today. I hate starting a message this way. Uh, at Mercy Hill, we have some preaching rules. Uh, there's about four things we want to make sure we do every time. Uh, and one of those four things uh, I... Uh, really try to drive home with the guys that are kind of learning to preach here. So when Seth was here, Mike, that sort of thing. And one of the things I'll say is like, get to the text, right? Like, I don't need the long introduction, get to the text. Here's what I need to confess to you today. I'm about to break that rule. I know that I'm breaking that rule. I'm breaking it on purpose. So just be patient with me. Sound good? Sound good. Okay, cool. Uh, I love spy movies. Anybody love spy movies? Uh, I'm like in for some behind the scenes, overthrowing governments, nobody knows what's going on. I love those movies where you don't figure out like all the moving parts until the end kind of puts it together for you. I will stop what I am doing any day, any time to watch any of the Bourne movies when they come on TBS. You know what I mean? Like I just kind of shut it down, just watch those movies. I love spy movies. The spy movies are really built on this idea of subversive action, right? that there's something going on under the surface that nobody knows about that's intended to overthrow some system of government or uh, some action or overthrow something that's well-established. And I love that stuff. What we're gonna find today in Mark chapter four is Jesus using three different parables. I'm gonna tell you what a parable is. Hang in there with me. Three different parables to teach us about God's kingdom. And the big idea is going to be that God's kingdom is actually subversive, that it is under the surface, that there's things happening behind the scenes and God moving his system forward that's intended to overthrow or tear down or break apart the rules of engagement or the rules that we normally live by in our everyday lives. So we're going to do some spy stuff today. Are you cool with that? And here's how he starts in Mark chapter 4 with the story, a story of a farmer, right? It doesn't get any less spy than the story of a farmer. So Jesus, as he is teaching in Mark chapter 4, teaches this parable. We know it as a parable of the sower. It goes something like this. Jesus says that there is a, a man, a sower, who sows seed. He's sowing it by casting. And so maybe if you could have in your mind, right, like kind of carrying around a bag of seed, walking through an area of property and casting out the seed. And he says that the seed, as it's being cast out, lands in four different types of soils. 
And the first one he says is it's cast out and it lands on the path. And the path is hard packed ground, it's difficult, and so the seed can't, can't actually bury itself into the dirt. And so what happens, Jesus says, is birds come and eat the seed and no uh, wheat will grow there. And then he said there's another kind of soil that the seed lands on. This soil, uh, Jesus says, is of a rocky ground. Now, there is some good soil mixed in with this rocky ground, and so there's a possibility for the, the seed to get buried in the ground and start to grow. But the problem with the rocky ground is that there's not enough space, or the seed doesn't have the ability to get roots very deep. And so that wheat doesn't grow either. And then Jesus says that seed, some of the seed ends on a, in another place, this land that has thorns in it. And he says what happens often is that seed will start to take root and grow up. The conditions are favorable. I have definitely favorable thorn conditions uh, in my backyard, right? They're favorable. But as the wheat starts to grow, Jesus says it gets choked out by these other thorns. And then he says, but there's this other soil, the good soil, where the seed will be scattered. It'll get itself deep into the ground. It'll have the opportunity for its roots to grow deep. And then over time, it'll grow high and it'll bear fruit, Jesus says. So it's great. 30 times, 60 times, 100 fold, Jesus says. And so he tells then the opening of Mark chapter 4 this sort of parable. Now, what is a parable? What's Jesus doing in telling this sort of story? Now, a parable is just a story from something usually in everyday life that has a teaching point. But specifically, when Jesus tells a parable, he's telling kingdom parables. And so when Jesus uses this teaching tool of a parable all the way through the Gospels, he's teaching these very simple stories to illustrate explosive truths about God's kingdom. Jared Wilson says this. He says, the parables serve this end. They proclaim in their unique way the gospel of the kingdom of God and Jesus as the king of that kingdom. And so when Jesus teaches in parables, that's what he's doing. He's telling stories that are supposed to help us understand this kingdom of God that we've been talking about all the way through the book of Mark. Now, parables are not a couple of things, and I want to make sure we are on the same page here. Parables are not moralistic illustrations. So Jesus' parables are not really the same thing as Aesop's fables. He's not teaching us a tortoise and the hare, which is a cute story, and then you get to the end of it, and it's like, hey, perseverance wins the day, so go get them. That's not really what Jesus is doing. Secondly, though, parables aren't overly complex. So sometimes when we get to parables, these teachings of Jesus, we like to pull them apart in every single possible way and dissect them and try to figure out how Russia is the bad guy in this parable too. Right? Like, we want to see, pull out every single meaning. And that's not really what they're intended to do. In other words, the metaphor has a limit. So these are just simple stories designed to teach us about what God's kingdom is really like. And usually, the plain meaning is the main meaning. That's what's intended. You're not supposed to really push them past that. So these parables, then, uh, are not about finding some sort of secret meaning. Really what these parables are is Jesus is trying to get people to wake up to the realities of who God is and what he's doing, all right? That's what a parable is. So we're going to see three of them today, and here's going to be the big idea. Again, I know this is a change. I usually don't give you the big idea right up front, right? Here's the big idea if you're taking notes. Here's what we're going to see in these three parables. That Jesus is the true king 
who was ushering in a subversive kingdom. A kingdom that is intended to overthrow the systems and beliefs and the way that we operate in the world current. And all of this comes from three teachings by Jesus about farmers. All right. Now, question number two. Got parables. What's the kingdom? Right? It's been a couple weeks since we talked about the kingdom, so just a quick refresher. The kingdom is anywhere where God reigns and rules. The kingdom of God, when it's talked about in the scripture, is more than just God's sovereign rule over everything as the creator, but it's where God's rule is gladly accepted, where there's great joy that the kingdom has arrived. So there are then in the kingdom... Uh, uh, it is pushing against a lot of places where, where God's rule is not gladly received. So that's God's kingdom. Anywhere where God rules and reigns, where this rule is gladly accepted. So what do I mean by this word then subversive and that the kingdom is subversive? Here's what I mean. The word subversive just means uh, <clears throat> intending to subvert, overthrow, destroy, or undermine an establish or existing system especially a legally constituted government or a set of beliefs. So here's what I mean. What we're going to see, three stories. What we're going to see is that all of them are aimed at undermining a set of beliefs that we all accept and operate by on a daily basis. Does that make sense? That's what they're intended to do. You, you guys ready now? There's a long enough introduction. Let's jump in, all right? Everybody's watching the live stream and like, man, I'm so glad I chose live stream, rainy day to watch, right? Yeah, okay, here we go. Number one, the kingdom grows in receptive hearts. Let's pick up in verse 13. So Jesus, with his disciples, he's explaining to his disciples the parable that I just told you, the parable of the sower. Here's what he says. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along and uh, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. And when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown. In. Verse sixteen. And these are the ones that are sown on the rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when the tribulation or the persecution arises on account of the world, immediately they fall away. Verse 18. And the others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the word and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfaithful. But those who are sown, uh, that were sown in the good soil, are the ones who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. So Jesus breaks down this parable for his disciples. Here's what he says. That the seed that's cast out is like the word. What he means by the word is this proclaimed message of the kingdom. What he's been teaching for the past three chapters that there are going to be people who are going to uh, hear the word, and they're going to have four completely different types of hearts. The first one, he says, is the path. Now, these are people who have an uninterested heart. They hear the word, but they're just not that engaged by the message. 
This message of the kingdom is not of interest to them. And so they are like the hard pack of the path. And those seeds, he says, are eaten by birds. And Jesus says that is Satan. Now, this is not, I don't think, some sort of satanic attack. I think what Jesus is just pointing out here is this is Satan's work. To confuse us about the truth and naturally take the truth away from us. And so those who are uninterested, the truth is around, but Satan is at work in the world around us to remove the truth and make sure that the truth of the word doesn't embed itself in our hearts. So there are people who are just, they're not that interested. The word doesn't strike them in any sort of way. This message of Jesus or the kingdom just doesn't pique their interest. They're not drawn to it. They don't want to hear it or receive it. Then there's some other people, and Jesus says that this is the rocky ground. Really, these are drifting hearts. Have you ever met someone with a drifting heart? The latest, greatest idea is always the best, right? They've switched political parties 14 times in the past 18 months, right? They've been posting stuff about mask and no mask at the same time, you know? And whatever the latest thing is, is like exactly what they are into. This is like the rocky ground. That there's no perseverance or substance behind much of what they believe. What they've heard last is what they believe now. And so because there's no root or there's nothing lasting in what they believe, then while they might receive and really enjoy the message of Jesus, pretty soon when it gets hard to follow Jesus, they're just on to the next latest and greatest thing. So they just kind of drift from thing to thing to thing. And then Jesus says there's this other soil, and that's the thorns, And this is a divided heart. That there are people who have a variety of cares and concerns, and while religion or a good life or this message of Jesus might be one of them, it's not really one of the main things. So these people, Jesus would say inside the metaphor, haven't taken the time to clear out the thorns of their heart. They've just left all that there. And so there's all this competition for the truth. And he says the riches of the world deceitfulness of riches, cares, desires for more, just kind of choke out this truth of the word. And then he says, though, lastly, there's this good soil. The seed buries in deep, grows deep roots, grows up high. And this is just the receptive heart, that the kingdom comes to receptive hearts, that they're just people who are ready and willing to receive the message of Jesus. And they are willing to face some sort of persecution for the message of Jesus or suffering. They don't believe that the message of Jesus should make everything magically right in their lives, like Jesus is a genie in the bottle from Aladdin. They also are willing to not allow that message to be choked out by a variety of other concerns, but they just have these receptive hearts. Jesus is asking us a question on one hand, like what sort of heart do you have? Do you have a heart that is uninterested? Do you have a heart that is maybe just drifts from thing to thing to thing? Do you have a heart that's divided? Or are you ready to receive this message of the kingdom? You go, Brandon, that's great, but how is that subversive? Well, because what Jesus is saying is the kingdom is born just simply in the hearts of people who are willing to receive it. Now, imagine if we were thinking about establishing our own kingdom. What would that involve? But Jesus, here we see there's no armies. He's not amassing troops. There's no collection of resources. Jesus and disciples aren't out fundraising. They're not selling candy bars for the band, right? 
They're not, they're not gathering together the most talented people that they could find in order to bring the kingdom. They're not invading other nations. There are no secret plans that's going to come together, right, like A-team style. I just love it when a plan comes together. There's nothing like that that's going to happen. Instead, Jesus is just saying, here's how the kingdom gets started. When you're open to hearing the message of the kingdom and when you're willing to receive it as true. Now, this is very different from the way we talk about massive transformations and kingdoms and people working. Jesus is really just saying this very simple thing. Radical transformation happens not by this massive revolution overthrowing the government, but really just in our hearts as we receive this news or this message about who Jesus is. It's the top resource of God's kingdom. The top resource of God's kingdom is not Mercy Hill's budget. The top resource of God's kingdom is not a better sign on Dallas Highway, right? The top resource of God's kingdom is not tons of money in the bank. The top resource of God's kingdom is just a collection of people who have open, receptive hearts to what God is doing around them. Good soil. And that, Jesus says, bears fruit. 30 times, 60 times, 100 times, all right? Now, that's not it. He gives us another story. Check this out. This is number two. The kingdom is not dependent on us. Verse 26. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. And the earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts, uh, he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. It's a very simple parable. Here's what Jesus says. The kingdom of God is like a guy who scatters seeds, plants, and then he goes to bed. And maybe he has some things that he's doing daily to kind of tend to it, but the real work of growing wheat from the ground, the farmer or the sower doesn't do. The real work happens because the seed is planted in the ground, grows deep roots, the rain comes, conditions are favorable, and then he says, this guy doesn't even know how it happens, which means you don't have to have a degree in agriculture for this to be true. Plants the seed and all of a sudden it starts to grow. And here's the picture that Jesus is painting for us about God's kingdom. It's not dependent on you. The, the amazing transformation that happens is actually God's work, not our work. Let me say this very clearly in the most straightforward way uh, because I do love you and I want you to understand this. One of the greatest truths that you can learn as a follower of Jesus is real simple. God does not need you. He wants you. He enjoys you, wants to have a relationship, but his kingdom pushing forward is not dependent on any of us in this room. We just do our part, just like the sower. And so part of our part is just we show up. We read the Bible. We spend time in prayer. We gather together for worship. We love our neighbors. We share the gospel. And then God does the unexplainable supernatural work. And so as we open our Bibles, God by his spirit illuminates or makes the truth plain to us. As we spend time in prayer, none of us think we answer our own prayer. God shows up and answers our prayers. 
as we gather together for worship. God fills our hearts with joy. As we give our gifts, express generosity, God's the one who multiplies it so it pushes his kingdom forward. As we share the gospel, love our neighbors, God shows up and does an unbelievable work of drawing people to himself and bringing conviction of sin. So the kingdom is made up of people like you and me who just do our small, meager part. But the real transformation, the thing that causes the seed to grow out of the ground and blossom is God's work. And it's not dependent on us. Unfortunately, though, we often believe that the kingdom is dependent on us. Can you imagine if we were in charge of God's kingdom? Right? Can you, can you imagine what would happen? We'd be like, hey, here's what, here's what we need. Um, we need a better marketing strategy. Who could, maybe we could get a better spokesperson. Listen, I want, I want to put you at ease today. Take a deep breath. You did not come to church today, and God is not saying to you, hey, I'm glad you're here, but what have you really done for me lately? That's not God's attitude towards us. This lack of God's dependency on us is good news because we just show up. We just keep doing the small things of the kingdom. We just keep participating the best we can, and God just does unbelievable things. Number three, third parable. Big idea is this. The kingdom seems insignificant at first. The kingdom seems insignificant at first. Verse 30. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parables shall we use for it? It is like a grain of a mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds of the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Here's what he says. He says, have you ever seen this mustard seed? It's small. Now, some of you who like pretend to be scholars and your academics or whatever, you're like, hey, I know from my class that the mustard seed is not actually the smallest seed. I Googled it one time, right? Or whatever, right? We know that. Just a quick reminder, when we read the Bible, we're reading the Bible in the context of the culture of the day, not necessarily ours, all right? And what Jesus is doing is just simply telling a story to some people who have a frame of reference for a mustard seed. They're like, hey, isn't this crazy? This little mustard seed is small, but when you plant it, it actually grows to a pretty large plant, much larger than a grapevine or a single stalk of wheat. And really the idea, don't miss it in all of maybe like trying to chop it up and like be a scientist or whatever today. The big idea is what seems to be insignificant actually produces amazing results. And that is, Jesus is saying, the kingdom of God. That every day we participate in what seems to be incredibly insignificant, small. That even, right, gathering together for worship, hearing the word taught, preached to us, seems small. But that's the sort of thing that Jesus uses to bring about his kingdom. The teachings of Jesus, when they find root in our hearts, produce something significant. 
Acts of service by those of us in our church, serving other people seems insignificant. But this is the way the kingdom comes. Even things that we do that maybe aren't on Instagram or Facebook. I know it might come to as a shock to you. The kingdom comes through insignificant acts that don't make their, its way onto your social media feed. Insignificant things, conversations with friends or neighbors, having people over for dinner, opening up your morning with some time in the scripture and prayer. All of that seems small, but what Jesus is teaching in this parable is it produces unbelievably massive results. He says, so big, actually, the birds of the air will come and nest in this new mustard tree. It's like a big, huge bush. Now, most scholars think that this reference to the birds of the air is Jesus is talking about the nations. Now, just get the scope of this. Jesus is saying what seems insignificant, this word, this seed, this message of Jesus planted in your heart seems so small, but that's what God is using to affect the globe. And this is subversive. We read stories all the time. Our history books are littered with great leaders who decided to do what? It's their time to take over the world, to make sure that they're known to the stretches of the globe. And what's hap what happens? They you know, fund it, armies, invade nations, take over, do the whole thing, right? And they all fail. But this subversive kingdom, Jesus is saying, starts in a way that seems insignificant. No one might even notice, but it produces, by the power of God, something massive. We would maybe go, hey, you know what we need? We're kicking off this global campaign. Then we, get, we need a spokesman. Maybe we'd get Jake from State Farm, Right? That guy crushes it. Those commercials are funny. Maybe that guy will be the spokesman for our movement. Or maybe we could go get the next celebrity who says something Christianly, and we're going to blow that up on Facebook. Or maybe we could find the next athlete, and we can make them the, the spokesperson, the face of our movement. We're going to go find something big and plaster it everywhere so that the movement can push forward. Because if we don't do something big, how are the nations going to know about the goodness of God? And Jesus is like, whoa, whoa, slow down. No, no, this thing starts small, what seems to be insignificant, and spreads that way. He is tearing down our most common assumptions about the way things happen. God's kingdom. God's kingdom begins just in receptive, open hearts who are willing to receive the message of Jesus. And God's kingdom is not dependent on us or our strategies or our new and improved whatever, fill in the blank. But God's kingdom is dependent on God. God is at work in his kingdom. And God's kingdom starts in ways that seem insignificant. But in unbelievable, massive movement where people hear and know and proclaim the name of Jesus. Now, you might be unconvinced. You're like, nah, I don't know, man. We need to bump up the budget. 
No, I don't know, Brandon, maybe we need to get after it a little bit harder. Some of those things might be true. But you know the best example that this is true is Jesus himself. In fact, John chapter 12, this is what Jesus says about himself in verse 24. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Now, the disciples at the time don't know that Jesus is talking about his own death and resurrection, but that's exactly what he's referring to. And Jesus is saying again through another parable, another teaching, here's what's going to happen. You want to know how the king is going to show up and establish the kingdom? You want to know how the king is going to get glory and honor? You want to know how the king accomplishes his work? He dies. He falls to the ground. He is crucified in the place of sinners like you and me. And then he's going to rise again. What Jesus says is this amazing thing. That the way the kingdom pushes forward here and now is the same way it begins. Through things that seem insane. Every spy movie you've ever seen, what are they working hard to do? Take out the leader, right? To cause problems for the leader of the movement. But in the subversive kingdom of God, where do we start? With the death of our leader on the cross, crucified for you and me. And from his death, something amazing happens. This message that you and I can know God, not because of our moral effort or our church attendance, not because we're incredibly intelligent, not because we figured out the secret method with the secret knowledge, not because we have a Bible code, not any of those things. You and I can know God because his son Jesus, the true king, came, died for us in our place, absorbing the full punishment for our sin for us, that that king extends unbelievable grace to us. That king was risen from the dead, raised to this new brilliant life, and he invites every person with a sound, within the sound of my voice, every person who hears the word to respond with a receptive heart and say, I don't, I don't just believe that, I don't just hear that, but I'm going to trust it and bank my life on it. That's the kingdom of God. Now, what does that mean for us today? I think just three simple things. Number one, slow down. Slow down. The condition of your heart is much more important than your list of accomplishments. If you are the receptive good soil who is clearing out the thorns and the cares and the deceitfulness of the word, that's way more important, way more important than what you, your list of account, your resume. So slow down. Heart work is kingdom work. Take time to evaluate the condition of your heart. Take time to read the words of Jesus in the scripture. Slow down. Take some time to pray. That's how God pushes his kingdom forward. And in a culture where we we're not moving forward unless we're busy, 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 busy. This is a little subversive. It's hard to do. So let me just encourage you today. Slow down. Heart work is kingdom work. So don't get to the business of the kingdom. Serving, going, belonging to a ministry team, all that stuff, and lose the heart. Make sense?
Slow down. You got my permission to slow down. Number two, breathe easy. This is not dependent on you. The way your kids turn out is not completely dependent on you. God's at work here. All right? Your career not completely dependent on you. God's at work here. Missionaries we have on the field, guess what? We want to pray for them, but God's going to work in those fields. All right? So we do our part. We do our part. But we're just trusting God is going to do the work. So breathe easy. Slow down. Take a breath. Everything in your life is not dependent on you, and that's good news. Last thing, number three. Do the small things. Remember, seemingly insignificant things are what push the kingdom forward. That's what we're after here. Small has this massive worldwide impact in a way that is completely subversive to our culture. So do the small things. Take time with your family. Take a little time in the morning, a cup of coffee and the scripture open. Take time to journal. Take time to pray. Take, take a little bit of time to give to a neighbor and serve. It will seem insignificant, but that's the way the kingdom pushed forward. So slow down, breathe easy today, and let's just do the small, faithful things that are required as citizens of the kingdom, knowing that God does the work. God does the transforming work. God does the saving work. God does the convicting work. God does the heart work. God does the amazing, unexplainable work. I mean, we're just citizens of this kingdom who are trusting in an unbelievable king, King Jesus who came to usher in this subversive kingdom, and we just buy in. So slow down. Do hard work. Breathe easy. It's not dependent on you. And let's just do some small, insignificant things and see how God's going to do incredible things through it.